Little by little, the search parties dwindled. Soon enough, it was only families and friends that still clung to any hope. Their hope, too, was eventually buried beneath the snow. Nestled between Cemetery Road and Little Chicago Road in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, is an unpaved stretch of packed earth and gravel that runs north off the River Drive and disappears into the River Run Woods. It was once owned by the Boy Scouts of America and was intended to be the sole entry point into the large wooded area where the organization had planned to host their camps. Unfortunately, that never happened. That land and Boy Scout Lane is now privately owned and off-limits to all. Signs that warn trespassers to steer clear are posted all along the road and into the woods. But that hasn't stopped thrill-seekers, paranormal investigators, and bored teenagers alike from sneaking their way in, only to be frightened and chased off again. Not by the owner of the property, but by a troop of Boy Scouts that perished there in the mid-1950s. Welcome back to Icker and Ink, where we dredge the depths of the horrific and hilarious in all their gore and glory. I am, as always, Micah. I'm Chelsea. And today we are looking at the tragic tale of a lost scout troop. So sit back, relax, grab a drink. We are just two nerdy authors who love telling stories, and this is Icker and Ink. Boy Scout Lane has earned itself a spot on many most haunted roads lists, and for good reason. You wouldn't think that an unassuming plain gravel road less than a mile long and surrounded by farmsteads would have that sinister a story, but this one does. As all legends do, this one varies and shifts over time and depending on who's telling the tale, but nearly everyone can agree. It happened in the late 50s and it happened on Boy Scout Lane. It was fall. The trees had already donned the best of their festive oranges and brilliant reds when a local scout troop, led by their scoutmaster, went for a weekend excursion in the River Run Woods. This was no ordinary weekend retreat, though. This was the troop's first opportunity to explore and camp in the newly purchased bit of land that the Boy Scouts of America had just acquired with the intention of making it their new local camping ground. They had barely breached the forest proper when they decided to set up camp. Tents were erected and fires were brought to life with competency and efficiency. There was an eagerness and anticipation in the air that was almost palpable. There's not much information about what the young men and their troopmaster did that evening, but I imagine that it involved talking about girls, roasting marshmallows, farting into the fire, whittling sticks, tying knots, reading urban legends, ghost stories, and folklore by Micah Campbell, and making dirty jokes, etc. The next morning, the scoutmaster wakes up brings the fires back to life and puts on breakfast. Bacon and sausage a sizzling. Got that coffee brewing. Maybe even some flapjacks bubbling on the cast iron. 
and then proceeds to wake the camp with a rousing rendition of Reveille, the scout bugle call for get up and get you some bacon. Expecting a swarm of hungry hikers ready to take on the trails, he was instead met with an eerie quiet. The ground undisturbed, still wet with dew that glistened off the bright blurry rays that broke through the trees, smoked and steamed as the temperatures rose with the sun. The temperatures rose, but his campers did not. The troop leader rushed from tent to tent, panic beginning to take firm hold of his thoughts as worst-case scenarios played through his head. His frantic search took him from the campgrounds into the forests of River Run. He shouted, he screamed, he called each of them by name, but received no response. Exhausted and out of options, he made his way back to camp. The only vehicle that they had was the old yellow bus that the local troop had raised money to purchase at an auction years ago. It was rusty, smelly, and missing half its seats, but it did its job. It was also gone. The driver, who was a good friend of the troop and offered his services on the weekends, had opted to sleep in the bus instead of on the cold hard ground. He was gone also. The troop master made his way down Boy Scout Lane hoping to find a farm or a phone so that he could call the police. About halfway down the lane, he found the bus. It was wrapped around a large tree. Smoke was pouring from under the hood as well as from the windows and doors, which were all shattered and caved in. The outside was more black than yellow. The troopmaster is reported as saying that it looked like someone had taken a flamethrower to it. After a brief and unsuccessful search of the interior and all around the area, he continued on. No bus driver, no scouts. The scoutmaster ran to the first home he saw, a small farmhouse at the edge of the road. He briefly explained what was happening and within an hour, he, the family of the farm, and the police were all out combing the woods, looking for the missing troop. Investigators were on site but found no evidence of foul play. Of course, the troopmaster was the lead suspect, but they couldn't come up with any reason to hold him. Their focus then shifted to the bus driver. Everyone else's focus was on finding those lost boys. Winter was fast approaching, and not just any winter, a Wisconsin winter. Everyone knew that no matter how well-trained these boys were, there was no chance of them surviving long in the brutal conditions of a northern forest winter. Not to mention, the troop left everything back at camp. Bedrolls, backpacks, rations, knives, blankets. It almost seemed as if they simply vanished as they slept. The search continued for weeks. Snow crowned the trees and blanketed the roads. The chances of finding the boys alive diminished day by day as the brutal grasp of winter seized the small town of Stevens Point. Little by little, the search parties dwindled. Soon enough, it was only families and friends that still clung to any hope. Their hope, too, was eventually buried beneath the snow. There are many questions that to this day remain unanswered. Why did the children leave the safety and warmth of the blankets, tents, and fire of their campsite in the middle of the night? Why all of them? Why, if they left on their own accord, did they leave everything behind? What happened to the bus driver? What happened to the bus? Was this a tragic accident or something far more nefarious? Was the troopmaster really innocent? These are just a few of the myriad questions still haunting Boy Scout Lane. As I alluded to before, what exactly happened and even how they died depends on who's telling the story. Some say the scout leader murdered these boys in their sleep, that he went from tent to tent and picked them off one by one. Others point to the bus driver, 
who remains missing to this day. Some take the previously mentioned tent-by-tent scenario and just replace the scoutmaster with the bus driver. Others claim that the bus driver woke the young men and told them they were heading to some overnight hike, that he got them all in the bus and left, planning on taking them to some remote area and killing them there, but that the boys became aware of this and fought back, causing the bus to careen into the tree and explode. Though if this were the case, where did all the bodies go? No blood, no bodies, no foul play. It's too weird. Here's what really happened. It was a freak accident. The troop never actually made it to the campsite, but instead died in a horrible bus crash on the way there. The troop leader was the only survivor and he completely snapped. He lost his marbles after taking in the death and carnage all around him. He spent the entire day, all that night, and the early parts of the next morning transporting the burned and broken bodies of each boy and the bus driver to the campsite on foot, burying them under each tent. He set up the entire campsite like nothing had happened, and to this day, the bodies are still buried in shallow graves right there at the campsite. The troopmaster disappeared after the search died down, and many believe that he killed himself, not because of the guilt and shame that he felt for what he had done, but because he had truly snapped, and out of some form of survivor's guilt, could not bear to be alive any longer. There is an old elm tree that reaches over Boy Scout Lane. Many have claimed to see the shadow of a man hanging from its branches. It is there, and it is the troopmaster. Despite who you talk to or what story you wish to believe, one thing is certain. Both the road and the campsite are haunted. Um, can we just take a minute? What's uh what's up, man? You uh you like ghost stories? That has to be the most epic tale intro. I mean, so it's so interesting how the information unfolds because we're told that the troop made it there, that they set up camp, that they had a fun night of of Boy Scout shenanigans. They all went to bed, and when the Scoutmaster woke up, then there was nobody there. The bus was in flames down the hill. All this, you know, unexplained, everybody searching for whatever. But what really happened was they got in a wreck on the way to the campsite that broke the, me yeah tragic the scoutmaster broke he he mentally couldn't handle seeing all those boys dead and and just torn apart by this wreck so he carried them each to the campsite individually buried them under their tents and went on as if everything was normal because in his mind that's the only thing that would that would make sense like that's how he started coping yeah, yeah. That when you shifted the story and yeah. that became the reality, full yeah. body chills. Yeah. It's uh, very tragic, very sad, uh, and so interesting how the mind works and how, you know, how his perception totally changed. And, and of course, unfortunately, he, he did kill himself afterward. Don't know how. Uh, the, the, the running theory is that that is him on the, uh, on the elm that's yeah. leading into the, into the woods. That is the running theory, and I buy that. I believe that. I believe that 100%. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But, but uh, yeah, his spirit, the energy from the tragedy of that loss yeah. would have, even if he did not hang himself necessarily there. Right. I could imagine his oh, spirit be coming back. That. Yeah. 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 He, he, will be, he will be forever tied to that place just as those boys will. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Look, like and subscribe. That's the kind of stuff you get here. I mean, 
off the yeah. charts, Micah. Chill, chills, off man. the charts. Yeah, chills. Though this land is now private property, many still risk the ire of the authorities and landowners to get a glimpse of this infamous area of River Run Woods. Most are simply seeking a scare, worked up by their own tellings and retellings of the events that played out here so many years ago. Some go to investigate. Regardless of why they go, they all leave, sometimes hastily, running for their lives, with the same account. There are ghosts in those woods. Many report hearing children running through the woods and down Boy Scout Lane, laughing and shouting. That, like, really hit me. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 really tragic, you know. It's it's a true story. It's it's a whole a whole troop of scouts. Wow. It's, yeah, it's it's crazy. I just got hit with some feels, man. Yeah. Okay. Others claim that at night the whispers of boys can be heard, and in the chill of winter, even seen as unexplainable wisp of breath appear in unison with the murmuring. That's creepy. Yeah. And so tragic. I just Ugh. the idea of the boys, the tragedy, the yeah. innocence. And the fact that, you know, in the winter, you can still see them talking to each other. You yeah. Know, you can still the breath. see their breaths. And, oh, man. Others report seeing bobbing lights swaying in the darkness, moving from tree to tree. This is thought to be lanterns or flashlights of the lost boys as they search for their way home. Mm. It is said that if you call out by name any of the missing boys, that you will be answered. This is due to the scoutmaster having called out each individual boy by name during his frenzied search. Everyone who comes away from Boy Scout Lane would agree and attest to the fact that something is off there. Twigs snapping in the distance, the foreboding sense of being watched, shadows and lights appearing and disappearing. We did some digging into the area and it seems that Stevens Point is a hotspot for this kind of activity. For instance, there is a bar in that area called Club Forest Bar. It used to be a brothel and was frequented by the likes of Al Capone and John Dillinger. Though the gangster and brothel days of the 30s and 40s are over, the remnants of that violent era linger here. It is said that a man named Melvin, a caretaker of the establishment, was murdered in cold blood in Club Forest by a two-bit criminal who was harassing a local patron. Apparently, Small Time was pestering a woman. He was getting a bit rowdy and handsy. Melvin stepped in to defend the woman and the gangster shot him. It is said that Melvin still haunts the bar and can still be felt there to this day. He will often play his favorite tune on the jukebox, turn up the TV, or even tip over drinks and bar stools anytime there is an unruly or loud man getting a bit too out of hand. The bar is grateful for what Melvin did that day all those years ago, so much so that they have named items on their menu after him. So cool. Isn't that cool? Wow. Wild. There are numerous haunted bridges in the Stevens Point area. There's actually a hybrid woman in white crying bridge case here, where a woman, a bride, on her wedding day discovered that her husband had been unfaithful. She ran from the chapel and across the red bridge on Kashmir Road, where she was struck and killed. The first incident and evidence that her spirit remains in the area was that of a police officer. He was driving across Bloody Bride Bridge, on Highway 66 near Jordan Park when he slammed his brakes halfway across the bridge, thinking that he had just struck a woman. He got out to investigate but found nothing. No woman, no damage to his vehicle, nothing. Or so he thought. He got back into his vehicle and out of habit looked into the rearview mirror where he met the gaze of a woman in a wedding dress, black hair, wet and matted, 
all around her face, sitting in the back seat. Sitting in the back seat? Uh, no. Yeah. The bride is said to haunt these two bridges and has even been associated with a third called the Black Bridge. All three of these bridges are well-known fishing spots, so fishermen are often reported as having encounters with the Lady in White as she roams and haunts. There is also a small cafe known as the Cottage Cafe. The owners are sisters who are also paranormal investigators. Hauntings here date back to the 1800s and show no sign of stopping. The sisters rarely open the cafe up for daily patronage, but do host a number of ghost and haunt-related events and even host a Halloween night paranormal group. These are just a few of the stories that we found while boots to the ground in Stevens Point. Needless to say, the area of Stevens Point, Wisconsin is ripe with supernatural activity. We may never know what truly happened that night on Boy Scout Lane, and maybe it's better that way. But I think it's safe to say at this point that this road and the entire area surrounding it is haunted by that lost troop of young Boy Scouts, the bus driver, and the troop master. And that does it for this chapter of Icker and Ink. I hope you enjoyed it. Please hit the thumbs up button. And subscribe to the channel if you want more content like this. Hit the bell to be notified when new content drops, which is at least twice a week, if not three times a week. For all our amazing listeners out there, we do ask that you share the channel with just one person this week. Do you have a suggestion or a creepy story that you'd like us to investigate and share? Email us at ickerandinkpodcast at gmail.com. And remember to tell us if you want your name to be mentioned or if you want to remain anonymous shout out to michelle piper at mpiper underscore rights on instagram she is supporting us financially and receiving all kinds of goodies as our way of saying thank you she is one of us and you could be too we do have merch we do have a patreon if you do want to support us financially we would greatly appreciate it we truly thank you all for joining us each and every week please like and subscribe and until next time i've been chelsea i've been micah together we have been icker and ink and you have been a barutiful audience Good night.